So that's Matthew 27, 45 to 56. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When a centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to take care of his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Thanks, James. Well, our world is governed by the law of cause and effect, uh, or so they say. Whether it's in the realm of science or grammar or just people's universal work ethic. It's all about actions and reactions or, or deeds and results. You know, if you get hungry, you eat food, cause and effect. You skip sleep, you feel tired. You don't study for the exam, you get a bad mark. You eat junk, you become unhealthy. It's all cause and effect. Some might add to that, if you create too many greenhouse gases, you get climate change. If you exploit the world, you end the world. I'm not here to comment on that topic, but it is another example of cause and effect. That's just the natural way of things. So how do you explain what happens at Jesus' death? It says there that the sky goes dark, the earth shakes, the the temple's curtain tears, and the dead walk out of broken tombs. Is that also cause and effect? Can you explain these things by the laws of nature? Perhaps was it a coincidental eclipse followed by an earthquake which then tore the, the, the temple's curtain and broke open some tombs and then perhaps a few corpses in the shaking fell out of those tombs? Or was Jesus' death the cause of some epic supernatural occurrences? Some theologians would say that This was kind of like nature's response to his death, world-changing as it was. But I want to take it even a bit further than that because we believe that God is sovereign over all things and all happenings. So can we not say that this was God's response to the death of his beloved son? That God is behind all 
cause and effect. And so when Jesus died, when he breathed his last, God darkened the land and he shook the earth and he ripped the curtain and he raised the dead. Such was the drama behind his condemnation of his own beloved son on our behalf. Such was the historical uh, and, and theological and supernatural significance of this event where the, the perfect God-man died. So we just want to give this response a little bit more attention this morning before we think about our own response and how God is still ultimately the cause behind that as well. So the first thing that happens there in verse 45 is that darkness comes over the whole land from midday until 3 p.m. And in Luke's historical account, he actually adds there that the sun stops shining. It actually stops shining, which is to say it wasn't just overcast. And so many people have suggested, well, perhaps this was an eclipse that happened right at that moment. And I just want to squash that really quickly because, uh, for one, it doesn't match the solar cycles. And secondly, no eclipse has ever lasted three hours. This is a supernatural darkness that reflects really the suffering of Jesus on the cross. And it is theologically significant. In Isaiah chapter 9, we read this. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And that's a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. In John chapter 1, it says uh, that in him, in the word, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And of course, it points forward to his resurrection. A world without Jesus is darkness, and it was literally for a brief time. But that darkness was temporary. It didn't last. It could not overcome the light. It could not keep Jesus dead. He rose again. And his light can now shine in our hearts This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, way back at the beginning, He made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So next in Matthew's account, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, this was the thick, heavy curtain that blocked off the most holy place, uh, or what was called the Holy of Holies. That was the place that basically symbolized God's dwelling place, where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. That God lived there, His glory lived there. And so only one man could enter, the, the high priest, and only once a year, after a most significant sacrifice. And one thing is for sure, no human being could tear a curtain like 
that was hanging in the temple. Especially not from the top down to the bottom because it was huge and it was just too thick for tearing. But God could do that. And he did do that right down the middle. And what that signifies to us is the end of the divide between God and people. The way that's opened between us and him. Unblocked access to the God of the universe. That as soon as Jesus gave up his spirit, at that moment, God ripped the barrier down, both physically and spiritually. It is finished. No more sacrifices. No more priesthood. No more ritual. Jesus is the final sacrifice. He is the eternal high priest and mediator. And he is the only way to the Father. As it says in Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Then came the earthquake, which was at least strong enough on the Richter scale to split apart rocks and break open tombs in the ground or in the hillsides. Now this is speculation, but I can't help imagining God just shaking and roaring with such grief at the death of his son that it literally shakes the earth. And whatever it is that's happening on God's part, it's phenomenal stuff that impacts nature itself. But more importantly, what this does is it harkens back to the earthquake at Mount Sinai when God himself descended and there handed Moses the law for his people. The people had to avert their eyes or they would die. And even Moses could only glimpse the back of God's glory. And they all just trembled with, with complete fear, Moses included, so fearful. The presence of God, it was too much for them to handle. It literally scared the living daylights out of them, as it would for any of us were we to witness that. But this time, while the earthquake would have been scary and it terrified the people at the cross, in many ways it reversed fear. Instead of the law, the people have been served with the fulfillment of the law, with its completion, with its signature. With its, it's kind of like this is now done in Jesus Christ. And instead of the intolerance of God's presence, where it's like, keep him away, we can't, we can't bear this, they've now been shown a new tolerance of it in the very person of Jesus, the Son of God. Emmanuel, God with us. And in his death, which achieves God 
with us. And in particular, when the Spirit comes to live in our hearts. And so again, we find in the, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Goes on to talk about angels rejoicing and this huge party. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus, the mediator. And then that chapter actually goes on to talk even more about the shaking of the earth that will come one day when he returns. And how everything that's shakeable in this world, everything that isn't grounded and, and firm and solidified in something, it will fall out, it will be removed. And only the unshakable kingdom of Christ will remain. So there's a lot of shaking going on. And then lastly, there's the resurrection of many saints who after Jesus' resurrection, a couple of days later, wandered into town and hung out with people. Well, so we read. It's a, it's a bit of a mystery, this one. Matthew's the only one who records it. But even if you could explain away all those other phenomena, <laughs> this one can only be described as supernatural, if you believe it. Dead people come back to life and there are witnesses. Only God can do such a thing. He did it uh, through the prophets at times in the Old Testament. And Jesus himself, before his death, had raised at least three people back to life. And when he breathes his last there on the cross and he gives up his spirit, it's like his resurrecting and his healing power kind of just explode out from him. And it's like his life force just shoots out like a shockwave and sort of gives life to everything in the vicinity. Now again, that's a bit of speculation, but either way, we witness some incredibly epic stuff here at the moment of Jesus' death. And the significance can't be lost on us. In Jesus' death, the permanence of death is defeated. The fact that you put people in the ground and they will stay there, that's now been nullified. The most basic law of cause and effect in this world, which is this, in case you didn't know it, that living will kill you, is now being flipped upside down. There's a new cause and effect in town. And that is that Jesus' death can bring people back to life. And what we find in Scripture is that actually in Jesus' death, resurrecting power does explode out from him. And the shockwave of life is literally sent around the world. People immediately start to believe right there and then and find salvation. There are hundreds of witnesses to Christ's resurrection. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it says people start to convert by the thousands. 
and it grows and it grows and it spreads and it spreads. The explosion of life, it goes from Jerusalem where it begins to Judea and Samaria to Rome and Europe to Africa and Asia and eventually to the ends of the earth. But it starts right back at the cross, even here in our passage in verse 54. It says there, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. The son of God. The perfect God-man choosing to die on a cross. This little small group of people make a remarkable profession of faith because of all that happened around them, all that they witnessed. In the previous passage in Matthew, uh, there's people sort of saying, mocking Jesus, and they're saying, if you really are the Son of God, why don't you come down from the cross? Show us your power, pull out the nails, jump down, and whatever else. And yet Jesus, he shows his divinity not by jumping off the cross, but by staying there until his death and so changing the world. Now you might say that all those supernatural, supernatural occurrences were the cause and that the faith of these few people was the effect. You might say that this was their response to Jesus' death, and that wouldn't be wrong. There's some who continue to mock Jesus, as we see in verses 47 to 49. But there, right here, right, there is a handful converted, then and there. But we might also say, and I think should say, that this was actually the greatest of five of God's supernatural miracles at the death of Jesus. That greater than the darkness, greater than the torn curtain, greater than the earthquake, greater even than the resurrected corpses was the regeneration of a few hearts. That of the centurion and some other guards. There at the death of Jesus, God caused the salvation of souls. These are the the first recorded converts apart from the repentant thief next to Jesus. And I suppose you would add all those whose lives were changed by Christ during his lifetime. But like them, these lives have been irreversibly changed. God did not waste any time putting Jesus' death into effect. As he suffered the the temporary loss of his beloved son, He was going to make it count. And from there, as we said, salvation exploded forth. Particularly as we see it in Jesus' resurrection and beyond. So this profession, this proclamation of faith by these people was part of God's response. But also the response from them themselves. And so the question is, what will your response be? What will your response be? 
If you're here just exploring the faith or perhaps choosing unbelief, let me ask you, what will you do with Jesus' death? What will you do with this record, historical, that uh, talks about all these supernatural occurrences that happened at that time? Darkness, earthquakes, zombies, so to speak, but the good kind. If he's just a religious leader who died and then a bunch of people sort of got together and they thought, let's make up a whole bunch of stuff about when he died and then his resurrection as well. Well then, yes, it's all over. There's no point to any of it. But if it's true, what then? Will you recognize that the pathetic crucified man hanging on the cross could be the son of God? Will you see the power that shook the world when he died? And the incomparable movement of faith that just exploded around the world after his resurrection. That wasn't just a good idea by a bunch of people who thought, let's create a movement. That can only happen by the the power of God that he displays in this narrative. And see, you can be another miracle of God's thanks to Jesus' death. Your heart can also be regenerated. You can be saved by this. Jesus' death can give you eternal life. And if you are here as a professing Christian, whether old or new to the faith, do you see that your faith is ultimately a work of God by His grace. That in as much as He's the agent behind the death of His own Son, He's also the agent behind our salvation. In fact, that's why He sent Jesus into this dark and sorrowful fate to save the world. Can you see that your heart could only be changed by a supernatural occurrence? Not because you've been convinced and you made up your mind and you're a reasonable person. But that it required the same power that darkened the land and tore the curtain and shook the earth and raised the dead. That that is the only power that can achieve your faith and your salvation. And the faith and the salvation of any around you. So will you believe? And like Matthew, if you do believe, will you share it? Will you exclaim and profess and proclaim, surely he was the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, we're awed by what we read in the Bible, 
and in the account of Jesus' death, we're challenged by it. Because it records such outrageous claims. In many ways, we want to just think that Jesus was another leader or human being who had a cause and died for it. But your word tells us so much more. That he was your son. That he was the Messiah, the Savior, the King who died for his subjects. The only person who ever lived a perfect life and kept the law perfectly and yet died a sinner's death so that it broke the natural order of things. And all sorts of crazy stuff happened. And we're challenged by it. Lord, for those of us here who perhaps have not made up our minds or don't believe in this stuff, we ask that you might keep challenging. That you might show just how Jesus is different. How Jesus is more than a man. And for those of us here who believe and perhaps have believed for a long time, Lord, we ask that you would remind us and renew our faith that he is the Son of God. And that it's only in your grace and your power that we can be saved and believe. And so, Lord, we ask that you will be the one who works in our hearts miraculously to either change us or grow us, to continue transforming us so that Jesus may fill our vision and that you may work a supernatural event in our lives that is in effect for all of our lives and into eternity. Amen.